If you love the Black Married and Dead Free podcast, if you get any joy, if we've ever done anything for you, do us a huge favor and go and give us a five-star review on this podcast. Leave us a comment if you like, but that helps our viewership ranking. Peace. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. What's going on, everybody? This is Marcus, and I'm here with my lovely wife, Shira. And as you can see, I'm smiling, which I do quite often, but I'm really excited about today's episode because uh, we have someone that is killing it in real estate yes, right now. Yes, yes. And you know, that's something that me and Shire are, are very much so into. Uh, so we want to welcome this gentleman on the show. We have Todd Baldwin uh, on with us. Todd, how you doing, brother? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you to you so much for inviting me onto your show. I'm stoked to be here. I've actually been a fan of your Instagram and your content for a while. So I was stoked when you guys reached out. Oh, that's awesome, man. Well, Todd, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with us, man. We just want to pick your brain just to just get a little bit uh, of your brain when it comes to real estate and how you've been able to pretty much become a real estate millionaire in, in your still 20s. Or are we- yeah, I'm 29 right now, so uh, still not quite 30 yet. Yes, yes. So, Todd, we, we like to start with, uh, you know, you kind of going back. You can go back as far uh, as you'd like, just kind of telling us uh, some of some about your upbringing and kind of what what things shifted your mind to really get into finance and get into real estate. Absolutely. Great question. So I'll go if I go way back to the beginning. Yeah. Um my unfortunately my father was a real bad guy like abusive wife beater child molester like all the things and so my mom had to get away from him um so she did and um what she didn't know is that when he was supposedly making the house payments he was instead taking that money and spending it on drugs and a bunch of other stuff so after he went to jail my mom started getting these foreclosure notices and we lost the house and 
were on the brink of homelessness. Luckily, I think from friends and communities and a church, we were able to get into a rental. But from the time I was like four, my mom was raising myself, my younger brother and my older sister all by herself. And I watched her struggle all the time and things were not good. So um, I got my first job at 12. I started my first business at 15. And I think I, gosh, I bought my first property when I was 23 and became a multi, or yeah, became a multimillionaire in my 20s. By the time I was like 26 or 27, I was a multimillionaire. So that's sort of like the 10,000 foot level view. Um, but yeah, I have the oldest story in the book. I grew up poor. I saw my mom struggle and I wanted a different life for my family. So here we are. Yes. And that's quite a story. And um, I really like how those circumstances did not define you and that Mm -hmm. you um, had a vision for what you wanted your life to be like, you know, moving forward. And I think that's great. So, so why real estate? So why, so how, how did we, how did we, uh, how did you get there? Yeah, great question. So I mentioned that I started my first business when I was 15 and that was actually a landscaping business. So um, I would go around and I would like mow lawns, rake leaves, I'd chop and stack wood. I, you know, pretty much do anything that people wanted me to do. And um, one of my clients that I got, I went to his main house to do that. And he was like, oh, you did a great job here. Why don't you go to some of my other properties? And I was like, other properties? Like, what is this guy? Because I came from a poor family, you know, like I didn't know any of this. And um, I went to like an office park. He owned these office buildings. He owned rental properties. He's owned all these things. And I eventually figured out that this man owned like half of the town that I grew up in, this small town that I grew up in. And I was like, man, I got to do what this guy did. And, um, you know, he didn't he didn't really mentor me in the traditional way. I was basically just like, you know, what's up with all this property? And he was like, oh, yeah, if you want to get wealthy, real estate is the way to do it. But he never gave me any advice on how to get into real estate. So, but that's when I started reading like Rich Dad, Poor Dad and Cashflow Quadrant and a few other books. And so by the time I was like 15, 16 years old, I knew that I wanted to get into real estate. And um, I'm sure we'll talk about this um, today, but one of the easiest ways that I think is to get into real estate is through house hacking. And basically you, you buy a house that you're going to live in. And then you either rent out the additional bedrooms or you buy like a duplex like I live in right now. This is a duplex and we rent out the other half. So because you need a place to live. Right. So you're either going to pay rent to somebody else or you're going to live in a house that you own and have other people pay off that mortgage for you. And for me, it was like a no brainer. Like, oh, yeah, let me live for free and have my tenants pay off my mortgage. Wow. Now, Todd, that's that's an amazing uh, story. And like how you said. It was, it was, it wasn't that he mentored you or held your hand through it. It was just that you saw that and, and, and you were so inquisitive. You said, let me do, let me do some research on this. And it just made sense. So I know our listeners are probably thinking, okay, real estate investing and becoming a millionaire. How many properties do I need to do that? How does one do that? So can you walk us through how many properties you, you have and kind of what you touched on it, but kind of what your uh, investing strategy is? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, as far as like how many properties do you need to become a millionaire, it completely depends on your market and what houses go for. And and for anyone who's curious, like a millionaire doesn't mean you make a million dollars a year. Um, It means your net worth is a million dollars. So and your net worth is calculated based on everything you own minus everything you owe. 
So if you own $4 million worth of real estate and you owe $3 million of mortgages, you have a net worth of $1 million. So although now my income is seven figures, like I do make over a million dollars a year, which is just, it's just crazy. But my net worth crossed a million dollars. Like I had a million dollars of assets when I was 24. And I believe, I believe I had three houses. I have to, man, I, it's, it's been like, it's all sort of blurs together. But basically what I did was my uh, girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, we bought a house in December of 2015. And we decided we're gonna live in the master bedroom and then rent out the extra bedrooms. And by doing that, we were living completely for free. Now, again, we had roommates, which can be very irritating and frustrating, but we were living in a six bedroom, four bathroom home just outside the city of Seattle, completely for free. And um, nine months later, because we were saving all that money by not paying rent and not paying a mortgage, we were able to buy our second house. And we rented that out by the bedroom as well. And after the mortgage, taxes, insurance, and maintenance were all paid on that one, we were collecting like 2000 bucks a month in pure cash flow and just profit. So then we were like, okay, this is sweet. So six months later, we did it again. We bought a third house. We moved into that one. So we got owner-occupied primary residence. You can put less down and have a better interest rate. And again, we, we moved into that new house. We rented out all the bedrooms. The master bedroom that we moved out of, we leased that out as well. So now, at, you know, we have we have three houses going. We're living for free. We're making like four grand a month in in passive income. Plus, we're living for free, and we just kept doing that. And eventually, we got up to six houses, uh, a total of forty renters, because it's all by the room, collecting about forty thousand bucks a month in rent, which is just, I mean, it's just mind blowing. And uh, this last year, so in the year twenty twenty one, we made just under two million dollars. Wow. Wow. I mean. For our listeners right there, like me and Shire, we get a little bit speechless because yes. Todd just broke down like a mastermind session in a few in just like a few minutes yes. <laughs> of how to do it. So let's break this down, Todd. So we might get a little bit off course here, Shire. <laughs> so Todd, tell me about like the 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 home uh, buying a home and renting out the rooms. And, and and aside from the house hacking, I understand you did that with your other properties how do you manage that is that something you manage yourself mm -hmm. um can you tell us a little bit about that experience of renting out rooms because i think that's that's incredible absolutely yeah and i will say too so i've done the room rentals i've done traditional rentals and then i've also done like airbnb stuff okay um but so the room rentals i think is the most bang for your buck and what i mean by that is this so there's the traditional way of buying real estate, right? You have one tenant in there or one family in there and they pay, basically the, the rent covers the mortgage and a little bit of profit. On the opposite end of the spectrum, there's Airbnb, which the rent can be crazy. You can be making just a crazy amount of money, but it's so much work because every day you gotta go in there and clean the Airbnb, right? So it might be like 10 times the money, but maybe it's 12 times the work. With house hacking, what I've realized is it's two to three times the money, but it's not two to three times the work, which is why I kept doing that. So it's it's more lucrative than a traditional rental, not as lucrative as Airbnb, but it's way less work. And so basically here's, here's how we did it. So in my area, I live in Seattle, which is a very expensive area. Um, a studio apartment goes for like 1800 bucks a month that does not include utilities. It doesn't even include parking. It's like an extra 150 per car, right? So we figured, well, 
there's a lot of young people in their 20s who are saddled with student loan debt. They have an entry-level job. They don't want to go spend 1800 bucks on a studio apartment, but they'd probably be down to spend 900 bucks for a room. And so that was sort of our model. We were like, well, let's make sure that our price is half of whatever a studio is and it's all inclusive of utilities. So we include, you know, cable, internet, Netflix, Hulu. We got like a house, you know, like a house, a Disney Plus account, like all that stuff. We also have a weekly maid and she comes and cleans the entire house from top to bottom because we knew that roommates might fight about mess. We also supply all the paper products in the bathroom. So like if you have a roommate in you, and you guys share a bathroom, and you're buying all the toilet paper and your roommate's the one always using it, eventually you're gonna get irked and irritated and you're gonna wanna move out. So we like, well, we bought all of it. We bought all of the soap, the toilet paper, all that stuff. We just had it like a package deal basically. And our average room is 900 to a thousand bucks, right? And in a six bedroom house, that's six grand for one house where the market rent might be 2,500. You know, I have, a, I have an eight bedroom house that we're collecting $8,000 a month on. The market rent, if you go to like Zillow and see the rent estimate, it's like $2,700. I'm getting $8,000 per month, four grand of which is pure profit after all the stuff I talked about, the utilities, the housekeeping, all that stuff. So I do manage it all myself. It's really not that, that hard. I have an all female house. I have an all male house. And then I have some mixed houses where they don't mind, but I try my best to match everyone by personality. It's not an exact science, but like if your idea of a good night is like Harry Potter and a glass of wine, I'm not going to put you in a house where their idea of a good night is like, you know, they're up till 3 a.m. blasting their music and doing shots on the kitchen. Right. So so it's just sort of like trying to get people together that I think would mesh well. And then, of course, once that happens, you know, correcting anything that I need to down the way. Yeah. It, that's amazing because Todd, what you essentially are doing is you're you're doing a hybrid of the Airbnb strategy and then mm -hmm. just traditional uh, buy and hold strategy, and you're like you met somewhere in the middle. So, I mean, this is amazing. So you're keeping the peace by supplying all these different things. Like yes. the more I supply, the less arguments and less um, ultimately the less turnover. Right? We want to keep renters in the house. That's the goal. So. Yeah, I've had a guy renting for me for the past six years. And it's like, you know, he doesn't, this isn't a guy who has to rent a room. He makes good money. He just, he doesn't want to buy a place. He doesn't, he doesn't know where he wants to live long-term. And he loves the fact that it's all included. He writes one check and that does everything. So yeah, I think, um, you know, it's the idea of trying to solve problems even before they arise. Like, you know, people will fight about mess. So before that even happens, hire a maid and she goes through, she cleans the whole house from top to bottom every single week. And it's just, it just makes it a hell of a lot easier. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so uh, one of our most asked question is around financing properties. Mm -hmm. So can you give us a little bit of insight in how um, you've been able to finance your, your properties? Yeah. Really good question. So with our very first house, um, and this was a few years ago now. So there was a first time home buyer program where we got to put three and a half percent down. I think that has changed where today it's 5% down. But I think it's better today because when we put three and a half percent down, we also had to pay PMI, which is mortgage insurance. If you put less than 20% down, I think, and you guys can fact check me on this, but I think if you're a first time home buyer program, you can put 5% down, no PMI, which is even better. So that, you know, that helps. Um, I, I also do need to say that I did get 
very lucky and fortunate, blessed, whatever you want to call it. I, when I dropped out of college when I was 22 to go into sales. And by the time, you know, I, maybe eight months later after doing that, I was making six figures for my sales job. So before I bought my first property, I was already making 110 grand a year. Now, I don't want to sway your listeners. You don't have to make six figures to buy real estate. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying when when I'm asked how how I was able to scale it so quickly, you know, buying six houses in four years, a big part of it was because I, I had a six figure salary and I was making commissions. So it, it wouldn't be beneficial to anyone if I skirted over that information. You know, they got to know the whole truth. Um, but it's it's certainly possible. I mean, I live in an expensive market where perhaps six figures is required to buy all those houses. But if you live in the Midwest where you can get like a duplex for like $15, <laughs> you know, I have a buddy who bought a duplex for $20,000 in Ohio. It's nuts out of there. That's not even a down payment over here. But um, yeah, sorry, that's a very long winded response to your question about financing. It's all conventional except for that first one, which is a first time home buyer program. But um, yeah, I, I think on my third house, I put 10% down. Um, on my fourth one, I put 10% down. On my fifth one, I had to put 20% down. And then on this duplex, I think I had to put 15% down. Um, and again, I mean, I, I was making big commission checks and, and big money from sales in my early 20s. And that really helped. And this, this is great stuff, Todd, because, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people hear the sexy ways that uh, people come up with finance, you know, other people's money and this and that. Right, and, right. And while right. those are, they sound amazing to some people, it's like, man, that's a lot to, to uh, you know, a lot of steps involved with that. And, you know, we buy our, our properties conventional as well. Um, but what you've done is you've not only bought those conventional, you figured out a way to maximize your return on investment. And yes. so that's what's so amazing about your story uh, is that you've been able to do that. And so, Six properties. We, we want to know, Todd, what is your ultimate goal uh, as far as real estate? Because I, I got the peculiar feeling you're not done. <laughs> so. I'm definitely not done. Yeah. So um, I eventually went to segue into apartments, um, like full on apartment buildings. Um, I'm actually looking at a few right now that um, hopefully I'll buy. My goal, my arbitrary goal, because everyone has these like weird numbers they want to hit, you know, I don't know why, but my number was 10,000 units by the time I'm 60 years old. So basically 10,000 apartment units that are paying me, you know, 1500 bucks a month. I don't know, quick math on that. It's it's a lot of money. <laughs> it's yeah, a lot of money, 10,000 units at 1500 bucks a month. It's a lot of dough, right? Yeah. So um, yeah, that was sort of like my goal. Although, you know, I... I was interviewed by CNBC through my real estate business. And for whatever reason, that went viral. I have no yes. idea why or like how, but because of that, I have had so many opportunities. Well, like you guys reaching out with this podcast, I went on bigger pockets as well. And I've also had opportunities to go on television and stuff. So now my focus has shifted slightly from real estate to more of like the TV aspect, just cause I never thought it was possible for me. And I think it's really cool. Um, so I, you know, I was on like local news, I was in a documentary series. I have a couple things coming up, which I actually can't say too much about because I have an NDA. Oh, yeah. But um, if it all works out, I'll be going on a TV show. So there's just a lot of stuff that I have going on, which is good because you want multiple streams of income anyway. Right. But yeah, again, I give these long winded response. 10,000 units, <laughs> 10,000 apartment units by the time I'm 60. There you go. <laughs> we love we love it, Todd. We love the, the long winded <laughs> response, man. Right. All right. 
That's wonderful. And we we wanted to talk about the CNBC episode and you've already um, talked about um, how it is impacting your uh, your life right now. And so I'm glad, I'm glad that you agreed to be here because yeah. I know you got a lot going on. Um, but one of the things that stood out to me was also uh, your lifestyle yes. and the mm -hmm. frugality and looking at your budget and, and um, looking at your food budget, I almost fell out of my chair, the, the, <laughs> you know, it was so low. So like, what are some strategies uh, that, that you uh, maybe talked about in, in that episode or that, or that you use to keep your, your expenses low? So we did talk about house hacking, but are there other things that, that you're doing to keep your expenses low? Absolutely. Yeah. So house hacking allows you to live for free. That's pretty awesome. Um, I do something called secret shopping, which basically allows you to get free food. And that's how my food budget is so low. And um, in a brief nutshell, basically, there are lots of companies out there like restaurants, movie theaters, you know, stuff like that. They want to know how their business is perceived by the public. And so they'll hire secret shoppers like, like me, like you guys, to basically go in there, pose as normal customers, buy whatever product or service that business sells, and then basically fill out a report when you get home, you get reimbursed for your purchase and you make some money on the top. So like every time I go to the movies, I line up a secret shop and I go to the movies for free. Like I saw Spider-Man Homecoming for free and I got paid a hundred bucks to go see it, right? Like that was something where like, I was gonna spend the money to go see it anyway, but I, I was able to get it for free through secret shopping. Yeah. And um, if anyone wants to know more about that, I'm sure at the end um, I'll, I'll post my Instagram handle or something, but I have a lot of like tutorials about how to sign up as a secret shopper. Secret shopping is certainly not a way to get rich, but it's definitely a way to save money because I think on average, I was saving maybe like five grand a year is what I actually saved, but then I'd, I'd make an additional five grand a year. So it's like a $10,000 swing per year. And if you take all of that and you invest it, it doesn't take long for that to add up with compound interest. It's pretty nice. That's that's so true, man. And, and the thing I love about it is, I mean, we're, we're talking about a multimillionaire here, people. And, and, <laughs> and he even has the the foresight to say, hey, you know, I can I can easily buy what I want. But if there's a cheaper way to do it, why not look into that? And so, yeah, we definitely going to, uh, you know, find that let people know where they can get all this information from you, Todd. This is great stuff. For sure. Yeah. You know, and you know, what's funny, you mentioned the frugality thing. I just had a piece of uh, business insider interviewed me for an article. And I think in that they revealed my income. And it was like, I don't know, like 150,000 per month or whatever. And it was funny, because when that article dropped, I also posted on my Instagram that I just clipped some coupons to go to Papa Murphy's. <laughs> and like, it's true. I mean, that's just who I am. Like, I'm a frugal guy. I don't need a lot of stuff. Like I, I'm, you know, I'm not flashy. I own zero Gucci belts, right? I don't even have a pair of Jordans. Like I just, I don't own a lot of stuff. And I think that that is a bit, like I'll, I'll never sit on my high horse and yell at someone for getting a Starbucks latte. Like, that's not me, that's not what I do. You don't need to shame people, right? But like, once you start to understand how money works, it's like, man, that Starbucks latte, like in future value, that's so much money. If I just don't do that and instead I make my own coffee at home and I invest the difference, like I'll still get my coffee if I make it at home or I'll get it as a secret shop and get it for free. And if I can invest the money instead, it'll just compound and create generational wealth which let's be honest, that's something that our culture is missing. Yeah. And so if we can figure out a way to suspend the pleasures a little bit and instead create generational wealth, I think you'll have a big change in 
I mean, in everything that that's the game changer right there. Yeah, man, you, you said a lot of stuff there, Ty. And I want to dig on some of that because with us, it's like, almost like, well, I have to see flash to, to believe it's real. You know, can you speak to that? Like, why do, why do we see that so much that, um, because I think a lot of the flash from like influencers and, and just, um, you know, folks that are teaching anything, they do that because they know that's going to attract people. But I think mm-hmm. it, it has a negative effect because it makes people think that it has to be flashy. But you're proof that, no, that's not true. So can you speak to psychology of what, like, why do we have to always think that rich equals flash? Yeah, you know, it's it's a weird thing, right? Because I think it's I think it's across different cultures. I think certain cultures are perhaps more emphasized on it, but there is this weird thing about like the status and appearing to be rich and, you know, all these things. And I, I still drive, dude, I drive a 2009 Ford Focus. Like I still drive that car. It's got 185,000 miles on it. I have enough cash in the bank to buy any car in the world. Okay. I don't care if it's a Lamborghini, a Rolls Royce, a Bugatti, you name it. I have enough money to go pay cash for it today. There's a reason why I haven't. And it's because I understand that I would rather, I would rather invest 300 grand into a million dollar property than go buy a $300,000 Rolls Royce so I can flex on Instagram. Right. Right now, it's not to say I'll never enjoy myself. Um, of course I will, you know, but I, I'm, I'm okay delaying gratification. I'm 29. I don't need a Rolls Royce. I need to build, I need to, I need to build that foundation so that, you know, like my grandkids will inherit this empire. Right. So that's sort of my motivation. And you're right. The flashiness, I probably have a much larger YouTube channel if I did on a Lamborghini because that's what gets clicks. Right. 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 Um, yeah. And that's what sells courses and all those things, but man, I don't know, like, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story and I won't take too long, but I'll tell you a quick story. I was at the barber shop not too long ago and my barber was talking to me. He was really proud of himself. He was like, Hey man, I'm super stoked because I have more money in the bank than I've ever had in my entire life. And I was like, hell yeah, brother. That's amazing. I didn't ask what it was on my business, but he told me, he told me, he's like, I got seven grand in the bank. And I was like, dude, congratulations. That's awesome. And what he said next, dude, it broke my heart. Cause he was like, yeah. And I'm really excited because the chain I want is 7,200. And I, dude, my heart sank when I heard that because it's like, he saved more money than he's ever had in his entire life, 7,000. And he's going to spend it all on a gold chain. And it's like, I'm not, I'm not mad at him. I'm not, I don't hate him for that. You can buy whatever you want, but it's like, dude, that like, that's not going to do it. That's not what's going to put your kids through college right. or like, you know, have your, your son or daughter inherit a, a property or whatever, like this need to look flashy and look like a baller. Right. It's like, I think it's so toxic and I don't know why it's like that. And me again, like, again, I have, I have more money than I could ever spend in a lifetime. And even I am not going to go spend $7,000 on a gold chain. Like I'm just not going right. to do it. Right. It doesn't do anything for me. Um, I don't even wear a watch. Like I got, I have a buddy that just spent $40,000 on a watch. I don't even wear one. And this, this, this is my wedding ring. It's rubber. <laughs> the wedding ring is rubber. Right. So yeah, it broke my heart when I heard that. And I don't know how we get away from it, but, uh, yeah, it's not, uh, you look at other people, right. other cultures mm-hmm. who have built wealth 
they're not doing that shit, right? They're not they're not spending seven thousand dollars on a gold chain no when all they have in the bank is seven thousand dollars. Right, right. That that story, man. That's I've heard it. I've, I've heard that you know similar stories like that, bro. And and like you said, it may it's probably a cultural thing, but hopefully conversations like, like this, this will start to change that, man. Yep. So thank you, Todd, for being like a really dope example of. Like this is this is this is the millionaire next door right here, like for real, you know. So, thank you so much, man. And before we get out of here, Todd, because we got a lot, uh, I feel like a lot of meat on this yes. on this episode. But we want to know, um, one, where can people you know find out more about you? Where can they connect with you online? So give us all of your, you know, I know you have a dope YouTube channel that you started recently. So, but let us know where people can find you. For sure. Yeah. Well, if anyone wants to talk to me, the best way to get in touch is through Instagram. Just DM me there. It's at Todd J Baldwin. So just my name, Todd J Baldwin. Um, and then same thing with my YouTube channel. It's just Todd Baldwin. No J in the YouTube, <laughs> but Todd Baldwin. But yeah, um, I'm usually, you know, like I do, I do get a lot of messages, but I'm pretty good about getting back to people within like a day or two. Um, I get bombarded all the time, but I'm usually good about getting back. So if anyone has a specific question about real estate or about secret shopping, hopefully I can answer it for you. And then I made a lot of tutorials on YouTube about how to start that journey too. But um, yeah, man, that's a, that's how you do it. Man, I was to speak to that, Todd. I was so surprised when you wrote me back. I was, it's always like a, uh, you know, when you ask somebody, it's like, are they going to write you back? And you, you know, answer back quick. But to our listeners, like you said, please check the YouTube first, first. before you ask the question because you might have already <laughs> answered it, right? So um, I did have one final question, Todd. Yeah, we got all the day, man. Cool. There's someone out there, right? They're listening to this. They're like, man, this sounds good. I want to I want to get into it. You know, I want to get into real estate investing, but I'm just a bit unsure. What advice would you give to that person uh, that knows they need to do something, right? But they're just a little bit, there's a little trepidation there. What would you, what would you tell them? Man, that's a good question. And it's probably the one that I get the most often. Like I want to do it, but I'm scared or I don't know if I can or, you know, whatever. All I'll say is this guys, at the end of the day, there are people with half of your talent and half of your capabilities out there living the life that you want to live because while you were waiting for the right moment or while you were thinking about it, they just freaking did it. Right. And so I'm not saying you need to be reckless and I'm not saying, you know, don't study and research, but there's a certain point where you just have to go for the life you want. And, um, I know not everyone believes the same thing about, you know, religion or a life after or whatever. So I won't touch on that. But if you, if you set all that aside for a second, you just think about it this way, you get one shot at life and that's it. Like we're here for a second and then we're gone. It makes no sense in the world to sit on the sideline. Like you just, you have to jump in, man. This is it. This is the game. Like this is the game. You're either on the bench or you're playing and there isn't another one. So that's how I look at it. Um, of course, who knows what's going to happen after that, but like, I'm looking at it like right here and right now, this is my shot. And so I got to take it. And I hope that everybody out there takes it too. Man, love that. Love that. Yes, thank you. Yes, sir. Well, Todd, thank you, brother. We appreciate your time, man. Uh, I think this episode is going to be really great. So thank you so much. Uh, Jai, any last questions? You Just good? thank you. <laughs> I mean, even I have takeaways, yes. you know, so we, we appreciate it. And I know that our listeners will as well. Yep. All right, well, Todd, thank man. you guys. It was great speaking to you. Honor meeting you both. I think you guys are killing it and you're doing really amazing work with what you're putting out there. And 
and teaching and hustling. It's amazing. So great job. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, Till next time, this is Marcus and I'm here with my lovely wife. Shira. And Todd. So we out. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) 